G'day, it's Russell Howcroft here. I'm the Chief Creative Officer of the Sayers Group and a founding partner. At Sayers, we believe all business, all good business, starts with a fantastic conversation. So we thought, well, let's create a podcast and let's call it Conversations. We hope you enjoy this one. Uh, so this is a, a Sayers Conversation. Today, it's actually International Women's Day today, and we're going to speak to Former, a former minister, a year ago, I would have been very, it would have been easy for me to say, um, we have got Minister Jala Pulford with us, who, you know, is one of the senior members of the Andrews government. I'm not saying that now, I'm saying that we've got Jala Pulford with us, a woman of portfolio. Welcome, Jala. Thank you, Russ. It's lovely to be here and happy International Women's Day. Um, I think that you're looking fantastic. It's... um. Now, have you got a lunch? Because you, you're looking like you're ready for an International Women's Day lunch. Yeah, I am. And so this is a podcast, so bear with us while Russ and I talk about the outfit. But I have this kind of quite outrageous hot pink suit on. It's good. And I've been wearing the jacket or the pants, and I've never quite been brave enough to put it all together. But if you can't do it on International Women's Day, when, can't, when can you? Exactly. Um, yeah, so, yes, I'm going to um, Melbourne University to talk to a group of people from the science faculty about glass ceilings and amazing women in oh, STEM. All right, well, I'll tell you what, we might get onto a bit of that as well because um, clearly you've been pretty good at getting your way through it. So I'll tell you what What we'd like to do, Jala, at the start of our podcast, this is Freddie. Freddie's the producer from Good One. What we'd like to do is we're going to play you just five sounds, five audio sounds, uh, and all I'm really going to ask you at the end of those five is which of the five do you like the best for having conversations. So the sounds are going to put you to a place. So let's go to the first one. Mm-hmm. Next. Mm-hmm. And. So... You and I, we're about to have a chat. Are we walking through a forest? Are we on a beach? Are we in a pub? Are we by a fire? I don't know that we want to be windswept. No. <laughs> we're, we're sitting on a boat. Oh. We're about to jump into the water. Magnificent. The second one. Well, because you're pretty keen on scuba diving, are you not? Yes, this is kind of funny story. So I ran into Russ and I was dressed like a baby seal in my dive gear. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and had jumped off at the pier for a break between dives and any divers listening know that you need to let the nitrogen in your blood settle before you go back down and look at more fish and um there i was running to russ very so, out of context so uh, yeah you were um it, it was out of context but it was great to see you now scuba diving what is it about scuba diving how long have you done it for what do you like about it so coming up five years and of course there was a pandemic in that period which you know cramped a Cramped the style of everybody in a whole bunch of different ways. Um, and so much less diving during that period um, than a newly, freshly addicted diver would like. But, right. you know, least of the world's problems, of course. Um, yeah, it's, it's incredibly peaceful and it's incredibly quiet. Mm-hmm. And the only sound is the sound of your breath. So, if, you know, for people that have ever done any meditation, it's, it's like that. And for people that have ever done any snorkelling, it's like that, but you can just go a little deeper and look at the next more interesting thing. Yeah, yeah and so it's something I do with my son, my 18-year-old son. We, we took it up together and it's our thing yeah. and it's just, yeah, my favourite thing to do. Well, I was thinking, I wonder I wonder what it is about scuba diving and my assumption was that it was that maybe the meditative part of it and the get lost in your own thoughts part and, you know, sort of feel a sense of freedom maybe, I don't know. Um, it's actually less getting lost in your own thoughts but your own thoughts just getting completely parked because there's when you when you're really new there's quite a bit to concentrate on what you have to actually remember to keep breathing so you've got you sort of have to um have to be very very conscious of that because rule number one is never hold your breath so it's like <laughs> keep breathing yes keep breathing keep breathing <laughs> like in finding Nemo, just keep swimming and um so actually no matter how crazy busy your life is topside um you can't really think about that when you're underwater partly because there's just so many interesting things to look at it's all consuming but i think that meditative um factor for me um is one of the things that i really love well and also i mean you you've there's been stresses and strains over the you know the last you know 
let's say, a couple of decades. So it must be good for that as well. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's really, it's just wonderful. I had this idea, um, oh, many, many years ago. It's like, oh, that looks fun. You know, yeah. when you're on holiday and you see the, like, weird people in the pool all kitted up, it's like, oh, that looks that looks strange, but kind of sort of strange I could get into. And, and it had been an itch for a really long time. And, right. yeah, I finally got around to, yeah, scratching it in 2018. Sensational. Yeah. Okay, so I... When I was thinking about having a chat to you, Jala, I, I wanted to say to you, um, I admire all politicians. I admire all politicians before because they're brave enough to have a go. And then I thought, well, it's not really accurate to say all politicians because there are politicians who are on the fringes who are, you know, like one, it's not a good idea to admire them. So I don't really mean 100%, but I do mean most politicians, um, no matter the colour, the persuasion, you're brave and you're having a go. What is it about you, when you think back to your early days, what is it about you that said, you know what, I really want to do that? I I was really into politics and knew my side from a young age. I joined the Labour Party when I was 16. And the, the, the reasons, you know, that, the polit- that sort of the innate political philosophy and view about the world and society I, I guess was something I was born with or was raised with um, I got really into the machinery of it as well like just that you know that sort of question about how it works and how um, you know how people and societies organize themselves and how power expresses itself yep. and is organized and challenged and I love the tensions the the tensions that are inherent in all of it uh and so i was sort of really into it from like both perspectives really Mm -hmm. and as in both perspectives as in the sort of the machinery and also the representation yeah and and also the desire to you know sounds i get it yeah it it. sounds a bit maniacal really and i would and and i agree with you i i also admire um overwhelmingly yeah the, you know, um, politicians and people who have a go, people who run for local council, you know, people who spend 20 weeks of the year in Canberra and, of course, all the state colleagues that I've worked with. I think yep. it's, you know, there, there's something that almost all of us have in common. I agree. And while, we, and while there might be massive disagreements on how, um, there's often not much difference on what. Yeah. You know, what kind of society we want, how we might make things better. Um, yeah, but but I um, so I was working in the union movement um, in my twenties, and I was the work cover officer. I looked after the people who'd been injured at work, and so you know, storemen who couldn't lift boxes anymore because their backs had given way, or yep. poultry processing workers who couldn't skin the chickens anymore. You know how they go in the tray packs in the supermarket. You know somebody yeah. does that and yeah. puts them in there, and that work. It's probably much more automated these days, I don't know. But back then, you know, like that's the work that wears wrists out really quickly. Yeah. And the (laughs) Kennett government had made some really dramatic changes to workers' compensation. And I spent... Positive changes or not positive? Well, no, so they abolished common law rights, but they also um, really dramatically reduced um, income support payment and the payment for medical and other expenses like, you know your painkillers and physio appointments and stuff. Yep. And it was – they went entirely too far and it was very unjust. And I spent a couple of years all day, every day, on the phone to people <laughs> explaining to people that, yes, that's terrible what happened to you at work. Sorry, can't really do much about it. Right. And I think that was probably the thing that made me think, you know, like I can be very involved through the union movement in like working on different policy – um, a different approach to this, and and I did all of that, um, but it did, it did bring home very powerfully to me, um, the the importance of being in the room, yeah. and how there are some things you can only do if you're in the room, and I guess that's a good thing for International Women's Day, isn't it? Um, but you know, I think you know people who care about things in their community. There's lots and lots of different ways you can give expression to that, um, but there are some things that only the Parliament can do. And only executive government can do, and that's where I wanted to be. So you you were in the room, in fact, for sixteen years. So um, is that right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was in parliament for sixteen years, so and I was in cabinet for eight. Yeah. So you must have. Yeah, I mean, you must have got to parliament quite young. 
Yeah, I was 32. I mean, that's proper young. Yeah, it was one of the younger ones. And I remember thinking a couple of times, I can say this now because I'm way closer to 50, but a couple of times I remember thinking, I reckon I'm right at the younger end of the range here from a sort of desirable age to be elected point of view. Um, yeah, there were just a couple of points I thought, oh, I wouldn't want to be any younger than this. Yeah. I mean, some people have been, you know, our Deputy Premier, Jacinda Allen, I think she was 26 or 27. When she first entered. I think she may still hold the record. Um, And, you know, there are are people who, you know, come into the Parliament north of 60 as well. And it's actually really important for the Parliament to have that range of experiences and ages and stages of life and stuff. But, um, yeah, for me I thought, ooh, yes, this this is good and I've got this, but... I'm not sure I would have wanted to be any younger. So when you were 32 and entered Parliament, um, your family and friends, were they just, well, they must have been so proud of you, but did they, were they also quizzical? Were, did you get quizzical looks? Like, why would you want to do with this, this with your life, Jala? Yeah, I'm the black sheep in my family. Oh. <laughs> They're all... I was wondering. <laughs> I think they think I'm a bit odd. In a very supportive way. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, and... Um, yeah, I guess I guess you know my close friends knew that I was, you know, that was your I, thing. Yeah, it was my thing. I cared about it a lot. I wanted to do more of it. I wanted to do it as well as I could, and as effectively as I could. And so, um, yeah, maybe not super surprised, but yeah, I think so. I think, um, yeah, I think for my brother and sister and for my mum and dad, they just kind of you know went quietly raise an eyebrow and think, yeah, I'm not sure why she's. Like this, but well, I, I really, I really enjoyed the, f- the use of the word effective, uh, the notion of being effective. Um, so eight years as a minister, um, I'm th- I'm, I think I'm right, thanks to Freddie's notes, I think I'm right. Um, the first ag minister, for a female ag minister, I should say, agriculture minister. So tell me, what, what does effective look like in the world of agriculture, being a minister in that Ah, so a couple department. of different things. So I think I'm, in any portfolio there's the... Just the the administration and management of it, which can come at you in all kinds of strange ways. And then the other part is the opportunity for reform and enduring change. And so when I was the Agriculture Minister, so I had the portfolio for four years, um, which was wonderful, like an entire term, um, which means you, you have time to have an idea, develop it, yeah. execute it yeah. and then see if it worked. And that's really special. I, you know, I really um, i am very grateful that I had that opportunity to see through some big reforms but but also to sort of see the cycle of the role. There was a period where I wound up being the longest serving of the people who were the ag ministers yeah. of the country at the time. I was the, you know, for, for a bit there, I was the longest serving one after Barnaby went and um, and when David Littleproud came in and I thought, goodness me, yeah. who'd have thought? Yeah. There you go. Which is sort of, um, I mean, good on you, but it's it's a little odd really, isn't it? Because clearly over time you get you know, the knowledge that you obtain. It's quite useful. It's going to be useful yeah. for the department. I suppose then the next election might come around and then you may not be there, but that's not the case with you. Yeah. Um, you kept on. You kept on winning, Jala. Well, it's um, so. So in agriculture, so in that four-year period, we had drought, um, quite significant drought in two thousand and fifteen, and then again in two thousand and eighteen, different far other different part of the state mm-hmm. and different type of different sort of manifested itself differently. Um, and then um, listeners may recall when the dairy commodity price crashed fell through the floor very quickly. Um, Murray Goulburn were um, yeah. in a in a period of you know really terrible um, instability, and uh, you know a whole lot of dairy farmers were producing milk at a price that was significantly lower than the cost of production. Yeah. Terrible, terrible, terrible situation. So those were the three things I think that that kind of came at us, and. So that was that part of the role, managing that, working with communities, trying to come up with solutions, working with industry, um, other governments, including other state governments and federal governments, of s- federal governments, yes, during that period, multiple. Yep. And, um, <laughs> and, uh, and of course, local councils as well. Um, but then the, the stuff I really always loved the most, though, was the sort of opportunity for reform. So yep. we, we did this 
big um, biosecurity and digitisation reform, uh, which was great. We um, kind of set in place a strategy. <laughs> it's dirty work, but someone's got to do it. I was the Minister for Wine and Cheese. That's shocking. Um, yeah, we set in place a, a really important kind of s- strategy and from grape to cellar door, yep. indeed to export market strategy for the wine industry. Um, and then um, you think about all those that sort of amazing proliferation of artisan style producing of meats and cheeses and you know, all those beer. distilleries and mm. beer and yeah. stuff. And so towards the end, the last year really, we kind of got into that. It was lovely um, to be able to support those much smaller producers to, you know, have a have a real go. And it's been wonderful to see, um, you know, just a, a, you know, a, a, a bit of regulatory reform and a bit of sort of seed funding here and there and just an explosion of that kind of production as well as the you know huge big commodities that we export well you'll be able to tell all of us i mean victoria i mean what a place eh? i mean you know the the food bowl that this you know um and the opportunity presumably the opportunity for us to feed the world um i suppose we've more than scratched the, the surface but is there more upside in front of victoria Oh, yeah, there's really interesting things going on in terms of alternative proteins. Uh. So um, grains, uh, the grains uh, experts in and around the Wimmera doing some really cutting-edge work there. And when you think about the climate change challenge and the emissions reduction challenge, agriculture's, I think, um, after energy production and pollution and transport is kind of next yeah. in terms of um, significant impact. And so there's some amazing science going uh, on around you know, how to reduce emissions from cows and seaweed. those kinds of things. Seaweed, yeah, um, you know, uh, the, the fisheries, sustainable fisheries. And so, it's, yeah, it's always interesting. People have to eat, right? Right. Yeah. And, 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 and so there's always something exciting going on in ag. And so then um, what else have you done? Roads? Yes, yeah, Rose. You've, you've done uh, TAC. Yep. That's where we first met, um, it TAC, is, yes. w- where, you know, I thought, hang on, there, there, here's, here's someone who actually wants to be effective, so that was good news. Um, I suppose road safety is part of roads. What else in the in oh, the ministerial? Fishing. Fishing. And fishing and boating. Um, so this was, yeah, this was an unexpected love affair between me and the fishing portfolio. Right. Um, I... <laughs> You know, I, I knew I'd been appointed agriculture minister and then someone said, oh, you've got fisheries and now we have to go meet all these fishing folks and my goodness, did I love that. Right. And so um, fisheries actually came with me when I went to Rhodes. Because um, you wanted from it. From agriculture. Well, I, I, I... You carved that bit off. I loved it and yeah. I think, you know, I don't know, I think the Premier recognised maybe that the fishing folks and I were... Have special friends. Okay, great. Um, but yes, like such a cool sector. So you've got a million people in Victoria who go fishing with a fishing license. A million people. So yeah. Oh, well, what's that? One in six. People under a certain age and people over a certain age don't have to have a license. But yeah, the oh. surveys around you know numbers of people that go fishing. So I think not the day I saw you in my baby seal outfit oh. on the pier, but the time after that I went diving. Um, my friend George and I, we went scallops. We went scallop catching. Great. So that's yeah, that counts, right? That's mm-hmm. uh, we're you know in that in that kind of group of a, a million people, and you know, there's the regular fishers, and then there's the occasional fishers, and then the commercial industry is just absolutely fascinating. Right. So, um, you know, there's different zones, um, like the abalone folks. One of the abalone divers in Port Ferry, he said. Well, bring your gear and I'll show you. I'll show you our workplace. He had some amazing stories about sharks, um, and he showed me how to catch abalone. And I like you know his office right. on the boat. Right. Um, you need a license, of course, to be an abalone person, don't yeah, you? Yeah, you do, and they yeah. get, they have quota. It's, it's pretty it's strict, isn't it? Super heavily regulated. Yeah. All fisheries um, is really both the recreational and the commercial. Um, so, like tuna, for instance, we're going to get on some. We're going to like. I can go deep. I can go deep on eggs. So you should like. Stop that at some point, but um, but like so tuna, for instance, is a global. There's a global quota system, so Australia gets a quota, and then we all ah, kind of duke it out yeah. amongst ourselves about commercial versus recreational, um, as an and as percentage by state, the national share, all of that, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. 
anyway. So, oh. like, you totally get your, like, fishing regulation nerd on any time you like. But it must be very interesting to um, – so when you walk into the supermarket, you can tell yourself a story about pretty much everything that you see, <laughs> yeah, right? Yeah. But I think that it must be very interesting to recognise that, you know, that bit of steak that's on the polystyrene thing wrapped in plastic. They're actually um, – I do know, you do know the origin and you know the economics of it. It's really interesting, yeah. I mean, it's such an important part of all our lives, right? You know, right. It's like several times a day, everybody's eating something from somewhere. Yeah. And there's a whole amazing system and a whole lot of incredible economic activity going on all around it to make it happen. Indeed. And you would have seen the blood and the guts of it as well, right? Which oh, is, yeah. Yeah, which I, it, it, that's a good thing, right? It's, we don't have to be all sort of divorced from the realities of life. That's right. Speaking of, you've been involved with um, the mRNA. Oh, yes. Speaking of realities of life, so when I read about that, I go, well, this is pretty interesting because um, clearly we've all got used to the notion of the mRNA during the, during the pandemic. Mm. So when did that happen? Was this pre-pandemic? Um, no. It was during, yeah. So, so before the pandemic, so we're going to really put the scientists listening off here by this, like, Terrible description, but RNA is as significant a system uh, to be understood as DNA, and there are others. Um, and so RNA has been being studied intensely, very quietly, for a couple of decades. And the um, husband and wife team uh, in Germany who um, founded BioNTech. Um, we're working away, and we would have, some of us, you know, when we went lockdown, would have read some of these amazing stories. Mm. And they were working on really, really rare cancers. And, um, and then uh, similarly, you know, Moderna um, uh, came about as well. Um, the, um, you know, I think the US government at the time, governments around the world really said to the scientific community when the pandemic struck, like, go for it. Yeah. Like really, go for, go for, go for it um, uh, hard and faster and, uh, you know, we had this kind of quite extraordinary um, development of these vaccines in, in lightning speed. Yeah, so you were watching it. Yeah, You yeah, were absolutely. being briefed on it. And we, yeah, yeah, we were. And we were also, um, you know, so, that, so the concept had been well established that you could – um, use this technology to do this. Like that was known and understood, but then, you know, how effective it would be and how you would manage um, the regulatory um, approvals and then, then deployment to a, a whole planet worth of people oh, was is kind of... There's a, there's a sort of mind-blowing things to think about now that we're, you know, a few years down the road. Um, but we had... While this was happening... Um, Treasurer and I had been having this conversation about whether or not this was an industry we thought that could be very important for Victoria. Right. So we have world-class science. They have all these ways of ranking. The we gra- are the, incredible on that The front. great scientific ecosystems of the world and Melbourne is undeniably in the top three. Yeah. And... Um, you know, and there's, and there's also you know there's also excellent scientific capability in other parts of Australia, but Melbourne has this um, you know it is about forty percent, forty to fifty percent of the contested grants. Right. It's kind of one of the that's probably the main way you measure these things. So it's a really really important hub, and everyone might well recall it was the Doherty Institute that um, first. Uh, in Parkville, that first um, reproduced the virus, which is the critical ingredient for creating the vaccine. And then distributed it around the world. Oh, yes, they were all working day and night together. It's an amazingly networked global community. They all know each other from various projects they've worked on for decades and things. So it was like, you know, picking up the phone to your old mate, you know, at the other great infectious diseases institutes of the world and, you know, and the way that they work together is, like, it's really inspirational actually. And um, so, but but we were wondering whether or not this could be a really exciting industry yeah. for uh, for um, you know for Melbourne really for for here and for Australia. Yeah. And so we yeah we went after it and we went after it hard. Yeah. And so there's a couple of hundred. This might be a bit dated now because I'm you know 
not there anymore. Not there anymore. But but last I looked, there are at least a, a couple of hundred scientists uh, in Victoria, and then probably you know you extrapolate that and say maybe a similar number around the rest of the country working on RNA discovery and uh, and an application. Um, uh, but then there's sort of industry meets research capability, and so we were successful in attracting uh, Moderna to establish their their southern hemisphere hub here um and also um got got to a point um you know got to a point where biontech similarly we're going to be here now what biontech will do here will be clinical trials whereas the moderna um proposition is more about um uh more about uh, full population scale pandemic preparedness so australia's never in a position again where we're sort of hoping somebody will return the call and, and, and send the vaccines. Um, so, but so there's two things about this that are really striking. And when we, you know, when we had the Prime Minister and, and his colleagues um, for this occasion, what, what, what struck me was that the, you know, the federal government, um, for them it was about national sovereignty and security and leadership in the region and being able to make stuff that is amazing and yeah. important here yeah. um and 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 premier andrews and i were, were a bit like and and but like we're going to cure cancer with this technology <laughs> this is really cool too so it's really interesting to see the kind of different perspectives yeah. um that that sort of motivated that kind of triangulation of company university research community and governments um together yeah so it's going to be quite amazing because those th- that's not just bringing a big international player and park them on a site doing something doing what they do that's special yeah. the reason that they chose this part of australia and the reason that they chose australia is because of the science yeah so th- uh, another example of you being so effective i just i think i think i'm right that there's 10,000 phd's up there in parkville not that far from here so yeah, I'm not sure, but that wouldn't it, surprise me. Yeah, yeah that sounds about right. 10, there are 000, a lot. Ten thousand individuals with a PhD just up the, just up the road there. Oh yeah, and I go to all these meetings yeah, with amazing, people. Right? And everyone was professor somebody this or professor somebody that. Right. So it felt totally inadequate. It's pretty incredible. So another example of you being effective. You've also been effective with this. I'm not sure I had anything to do with that. To be well, honest. Well, no, that's not true. You were there. <laughs> was yeah, like well, rubbing shoulders, were, rubbing were, shoulders with really really say, clever people in the room. I guess. I guess. Startup community. Tell us about the startup community that's, um, that oh, you've yeah. been a part of. So, startup community here is amazing and it is absolutely humming. Um, so, one of the things that happened during those, you know, lockdown times was, well, there were some people who lost their job and suddenly were thinking, oh, that idea I've had gestating for all this, I'm going to yeah. have a go at this now. Um, some people had more time on their hands than they would normally um, and that idea that they'd had, yeah, I might have a go at that right now. And then, yeah. of course, there's this huge disruption going on to the way that people lived and to the way the economy was operating. That just created this extraordinary um, energy around um, startups and there was a really, really amazing foundation to build on. Right. And so... Uh, there, you should get Kate Cornick from Launch Vic on your podcast because she could just give you these numbers off the top of We've your head. Oh, good. Yeah. Yes. So, so she she tells this much better than I do, but um, but an extraordinary um, rate of growth. Um, yeah. Like a sort of, you know, doubling and doubling again within a handful of years in terms of the size of our startup community here, um, both by numbers of participants, by people at various stages in the kind of activation chain for investment and growth and employment, Um, and it's just nuts. And then the other thing, because we are rocking our International Women's Day energy here in all the ways that we can in the, like, slightly ridiculous hot pink suit, um, is... Um, one of the most delightful things um, that I was involved in was uh, the, the the establishment of the Alice Anderson Fund, right. named for a um, pioneer in her day, um, the first woman to have a mechanics business in Melbourne. I think it was in Kew, and uh, oh. so we named it for her. Um, but the Alice Anderson Fund, relatively modest government investment, around five million dollars, has had the most 
powerful impact in terms of um, supporting women-led startups. So they've invested in, I think now getting close to 20 businesses, a um, couple of hundred jobs created and these bu- these businesses have gone from like one or two people working at home to exploding growth in the tiniest number of months. Okay, so that's the Alice Anderson Fund? Yes. Something for us to Google. So I had not heard of that. Yep, and women founders um, or women thinking that they've got a good business idea and they want to have a go, like check it out. Oh, very good. So, But what I have heard of is... I've heard of Breakthrough Victoria, I've heard of Invest Victoria, I've heard of Launch Victoria, all part of the startup community, all, all created via government mm-hmm. saying we need to, to energise the startup world. So have I missed anything? There's Breakthrough, there's Invest, there's Launch Vic. Yeah, I think they're the main, they're and the main so programs. Are you, so are, in, so are you able to differentiate them for me? Absolutely, yeah. So LaunchVic is the um, is is all about startups, and so it is um, it is the agency that does um, startup development day and night. Great. So matching investors with founders, helping founders develop their skills, uh, and uh, and then helping them know and understand the markets that they're trying to break into. Got it. Um, you know, by their nature, um, they're looking. They're, they're typically, not exclusively, but typically digitally enabled um, and looking for something disruptive that can be done at vast scale. So that's so if, if you've got something, if anyone's got something like that, then LaunchVic is available for you and it's, you know, it, it's something that government does to help. Sort of holds hands. It's Holds, it really does, mm-hmm. yeah. It's it's right. and it's there, and it doesn't cost anything. You just call, and they're there to help, and that's what they do. How amazing, good. amazing How team. Good. Yep, an, an incredible board. Um, Lee Jasper, who uh, great fella, founded uh, one of the unicorns um, uh, of you know Australian tech disruptive fame, um, is the chair there, and you know brings an amazing, an amazing wealth of experience. Um, to to the role and and Kate who runs LaunchVic she's just she gets out of bed to help startups succeed it's like totally what she is all about How good. Breakthrough Victoria is is more an investment fund uh, and so um, there are so there's a pool of money yeah there is a big pool of money like two billion dollars over ten years uh, and they are about investing into businesses so so very distinctly separate role to launch Vic, uh, but um, uh, but very complementary and so um, breakthrough Victoria uh, have a, like a lot of a lot of organizations contacting them they, they work through um, who they're investing in and who they're not uh, and um, you know and and that's really it's quite young and it's early days because in investment cycle terms, you know, the investments that they've made, we don't know what happens next with those organisations. But I think that that's something that's going to be an extraordinary legacy for our um, innovation sector across clean energy, mm-hmm. um, med tech, yep. agriculture, transport, you know, all the, all the areas where there's opportunities for extraordinary innovation. So that's them, and then Investvic is about that sort of networks internationally ah. and bringing people and bringing people in. Um, yeah, brilliant. But they're all yeah, they're all there for people to use. That okay. is what they are there for. Shouldn't they shouldn't be they shouldn't be a secret from anyone? No. Uh, so then, do we? It's tough, isn't it, for for all of us to know what's going on. I mean, I, it's incredibly. There's so many exciting stories coming out of Victoria and who and what Victoria is, and so much to celebrate. How much? How it's hard, isn't it? Oh, no, it's awesome. <laughs> <laughs> what I think's hard is getting uh, universal knowledge around the greatness that's going on. Oh, yeah, that's hard. Because, you know, people live in their lives and they don't kind of tune in. What I've learnt since leaving government is not everybody reads every government press release. Yeah, Who I knew? know, right? Yeah. That's why and ads are really important. Ah, uh, yes, you know a bit about that. <laughs> that's true, though. Um, oh, yes, dear. congratulations on your Hall of Faming oh, in um the last couple of weeks. Thanks, too, Charla. That's good. Um, yeah, it is. Um, but I, I guess people should, you know, like ask, ask your local member, have a look at the department websites. You know, when you're asking that question, I was reminded when we were to use a expression I really shouldn't use because it should go in the bin. 
but that whole kind of building the plane while flying it thing that yeah. was kind yep. of yep. P- particularly um, a pandemic response in a whole bunch of different ways. Not the infection control and the science, but, you know, they've all been working on that for centuries. But, yeah. um, but you know, like, oh, my goodness, what can we do to support these people? So during that period, there were 27 different programs for small business. So I was the small business minister at the time. And, you know, like I would walk into would walk into Parliament with my, like, cheat sheet, my one page, would just list each of them on, like, literally one bit of paper. And, t- you know, it's like, you know, there's the Digital Adaptation Fund or there's the, you know, these support grants or the mental health and wellbeing or whatever. And so we were, you know, we were really determined to get everyone that could be gotten through through yep. and also in really good shape, in the best shape that they could. And so... You know, it was it was so dynamic, but like you'd you'd meet with someone from you know some of our business community leaders, you know, hear about the mental health pressures on people. It's like, right, okay, now what can we do about this? Put something together, and you know, we'd sort of put it up through the internal processes, and you know, then you'd be rolling it out within like a couple of weeks. Yeah, how good! It was just yeah, it was fast. Speed was good, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. It well, was, and it meant that sometimes it was imperfect, but well, but you know, I I, I would do the same again. Like you could design the perfect program and it would take six months before you could start oh. rolling it out or you could design one that had a couple of wrinkles and you'd iron them out on the way totally. through. I mean, I, I, I would say that the first three to six months of 2020 were probably probably amongst the best business months I've ever been involved in, you know, just as in the speed of getting things done. Oh, yeah. It was really quite a – it was actually quite an invigorating time when I felt that we were coming off a period where – as I used to say, I thought that the entire country was constipated. So it was actually quite nice for us to get moving and make stuff happen. And and just amazing um, that when yeah, the context changed, things that might take years mm. could be done unbelievably quickly. Right, it was pretty good, wasn't yeah. it? Yeah, so the very, very first business support thing that the government did, which is amazing really, um, was... Just pay all outstanding invoices within three days. Yes. $2 billion injection into the economy. Boom. Well. It's amazing, right? And then, so then, now that we knew that we could do it, we changed the policy and yeah. now they're all getting paid in much shorter terms. Well, I, if, there's, if there's any piece of legislation that our government could do, federal government really is where I'm going with this, but when your state's paying bills, legislation around payment terms mm. would make a massive difference. It should not be legal. To go beyond, let's say, fifteen days, uh, and yet you'll have you'll have large corporates who will pay ninety days to small businesses. Ouch! Yeah, it's 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 totally. A, anyway, this is a little thing for me. No, this is good. There isn't a given. Federal, I've got the microphone. It's not a federal. It's not a federal government regulation. It would be, but, but what, the way you would do it is that you would need to get all the small business ministers together, yeah. and there's actually not a forum for that. No. Um, it, it would be nice. Even an informal one. We could Us in New South that. Wales were talking about you and I. No, <laughs> I don't think so. Somebody else should though. Um, but um, you know, where you could get ideally, what you'd do is you'd get um, some, you know, unanim- unanimity among the small business ministers at a kind of national forum yep. about setting a standard around payment terms that was consistent everywhere. And that would be the sort of thing you could do because you know, while the states sometimes compete at the edges mm. on some of some costs and charges. Um, like, all that is doing is requiring people to pay for services that they are using. Like They've already used them. There are no winners or losers oh, here. It's not complex. Totally. This is interesting, yeah. Yeah, no. well, I think that obviously a government is in position to pay the bills when it can pay the bills, and it's in a position to buy whatever goods and services it wants to buy to enhance a particular sector. Mm. What I'm, what, where I'm also going is, like, corporates – you know, corporate X, you need to pay within, let's call it 15 days. Let's give them 15 days. Enforceability for payment terms. Right. I, I really believe that that would, is a hugely important reform. Now, yeah, you've been, you're in the room for 16 years. Um, and now, as we said at the, as we say at the top of the show, that you are now a woman of portfolio. I love that. I've never yeah. heard that or thought of it like that. But right. yes, I am. So, woman of portfolio. Now, I'm going to get that put on a T-shirt. Yeah. No, I'm not really. Now, I'm uh, I'm aware, and I didn't really talk about this earlier. I should have. Um, medicinal cannabis is something that you you're, you were involved in getting that through Parliament. 
Yes, and also actually getting the seeds imported yeah. and getting the federal government to allow us to import the seeds and growing the plants. That was pretty funny. Magnificent. So yeah, what I was getting wondering... the scientists to sequence the genomes and things, you know, it was like so cool. That Yeah, right. yeah, setting up a whole new industry, a bit like RNA. Like, yeah. Let's have an industry we didn't used to have anymore. Amazing. So I was wondering in your um, woman of portfolio capacity, uh, this isn't meant to be a joke, are you involved in cannabis? No. Well, you should be. It's an interesting thing. I have a, I have an ongoing interest in in it. Like it's incredible, right? It's incredible, and the, and the reason it came about was there was this. This is a quite a cool story. So there are a couple of families. There was um, a family in the northern suburbs of Melbourne with a little boy Cooper, if my memory serves me right, uh, and then. Cooper's grandmother was um, basically looking for politicians where she could find them. Um, And this family, uh, and there were others, but this family, uh, perhaps first among them, um, had said, this is not okay that the only medication that gives our son some relief from his intractable severe epilepsy is illegal. And so we went to the election in 2014 and said we will legalised medicinal cannabis and we didn't spell out how um, partly because we didn't quite know how Mm. and then when we came into government we had to work out how and so we sent the whole question off to the Victorian Law Reform Commission and said how how do we do this and they came back and said um, you know here here is how it ought to be regulated here is how you would develop it but rather than just an import regime we think it should be grown locally and we think an, and, and we think that agri- the agriculture people should do it which you know we all nearly fell off our chair this was the health minister's baby and uh it's like okay right it was quite a funny conversation to with this amazing um ag research scientists in victoria and they do yep. You know, state of the art, world renowned, and, and to ring and say, um, "So we've got this new project for you." Um, and that, to which they said, "What? Yeah, <laughs> you want w- us to do what?" Yeah. Um, yeah, and you know, now there's you know this again, this sort of really quite extraordinary resource that Melbourne has that Victoria has um, in in building that capability. But yeah, it's really interesting. Um, okay, back to portfolio. What are you doing? Oh. I'm doing lots of interesting things. Yeah, okay. Um, so I'm doing um, some work with Sayers, which you know because I run into you there sometimes. Yep, it's great. And it's we- wonderful. Lots of really interesting clients doing super interesting things. Um, I love the energy of the place. Um, and well, it's a good startup. Yeah, it is. It's 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 an exciting startup. Yeah. And I think I think my favourite about it is that when I was talking to Luke about um, about starting and I said to like you know give me the kind of essential like mm-hmm. what is the kind of essence of this place and he said well yeah I think if somebody came to us and said yeah we're pretty happy with business as usual and we just want to kind of you know do more of that that he would say you know really no. what we're after no. we're, we're yeah we're only after Things that are really complicated um, and really um, impactful. Like it's all about sort of impact and change yep. and this, you know, status quo rejection, which is pretty neat, really. Good. So I love that. Good. And I also love the way that the different parts of the organisation come together on things. And, you know, I'm very new, so I've only seen so much of these. Um, but, uh, you know, the, the, to the team that, that, that you are... Uh, um, yeah. That, that you are part of working together with people that are, you know, working on really complicated tra- uh, commercial transactions or really, really complicated, um, you know, projects, uh, digital transformation. Yeah. It's, you know, the way that people kind of get pulled in from one bit or another and it's, I don't know, it's, it's got a, a sort of a lovely electricity about it, I think. What else are you doing? Um, I'm working... Uh, with um, Melbourne University, so I've been appointed a vice chancellor's fellow. Wow! Yes, very special. Well, as you should be. Super, yeah, no, it's super special. So at the moment, this is again all quite new. So I'm meeting lots of people. I'm in the science faculty, 
and they don't seem to care about how badly I did at Year 10 Physics, yeah, which well, is lovely. Yeah, right, because who cares? Cause, <laughs> yeah. You know, Good. It was a long time ago, right? Right. Um, and so I'm meeting all kinds of people from across the faculty to just, in the first instance, learn the breadth and depth of incredible what they're doing. Um, mental and health. And that's fabulous. Um, so the mental health work is uh, uh, perhaps a bit more in the um, medicine, nursing and dentistry faculty, but I'll be doing some, some work with them as well. But some of the things that, um, uh, you know, that that I'm keen to work with Melbourne Uni on are around diversity, um, you know, women in STEM, again, yeah, something yep, yep. Um, that they're really focused on, um, helping kids from rural communities uh-huh. um, find their way to Melbourne Uni. First generation. First, Yep. Um, very, very big priority for the Vice-Chancellor. Yeah, great. Um, and uh, but, but also I think, you know, there's an opportunity to do some interesting work around translation of research and what, sort of an optimal system looks like to get ideas from your laboratory or mm-hmm. bench or spreadsheet into application for you know for society's benefit. Seven years time. Seven years time. So in seven years time, what's what is um, what's Melbourne look like? Oh, what a fantastic question! I think it'll be just absolutely buzzing. I think that the the capability here around, I, you know, like the, this is a city of big ideas. And so, you know, leading the charge on the energy transition, um, the, you know, the, all, all of the change and transformation, tech and innovation, exciting industries, this amazing um, medical research pressing. I think that will just become an ever more important part of um, this city's identity. Mm. Um, but also you think about the things uh, that are occurring with the big, you know, the big transport projects all around the city and the way that they're transforming neighbourhoods, not just putting in a rail line or putting right. in a level crossing, but like that whole way in which people um, can live and work nearer to home mm-hmm. um, and, and just sort of ensuring that people have that, you know, best possible fabulous lifestyle. Yeah, I'm really, po- I'm really optimistic about the future of this city. I, I am. I think, I think we're a, you know, we're a thoughtful society and a really strong community. And whilst this last three years has been unbelievably difficult for people um, and a lot of the you know, media interest has been on the bad and I guess that sells print so that's whatever um you know the way that people have supported one another the way that people have identified as a community and looked after each other is I reckon that's the real story of the last few years and so you know as the city grows and changes becomes easier to get around with all of that transport stuff going on um and and is a and is a place where you know knowledge and excellence is celebrated and championed. I oh, think that's my Melbourne in, th- in that, seven years. That sounds good. Now, what I like to do, Charlo, is I ask Freddie if he's got a question. Are you up for that? Yeah. If he may not have a question, but he's got a question. So um, Freddie, who's producing. Um, so Freddie, over to you. Uh, last question, Charlo. Coming, Freddie. Thank you, Russ, and thank you, Charlo. Um, so when you're a politician and you are looking after, you know, a certain portfolio mm-hmm. and you've got to, uh, you have a responsibility to make an impact that will last perhaps decades, but you can't be certain that you're going to be there two years down the line. Yeah. How does that knowledge of that impact your decision making and the strategies you lay out? I think it creates a sense of urgency. Like all, all governments, you know, all governments end eventually, right? It's people come and go, people change. Um, and the circumstance, the society in which any government is, um, is, is existing, is serving, um, that changes too. Like you think about what Melbourne and Victoria is like in 2023 compared to 2019, for instance. Yeah. Like that's kind of warp speed change, but that's like quite extraordinary. But then you think back, you know, 20 years earlier – um, and, and, and governments are an expression of the community. It's not the other way around. It's actually true how it works. You know, everybody turns up, they put their thing in the box and then they get what they asked for. Um, 
<laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, seriously. And and, and I, I really love that we have compulsory voting because, you know, like you might engage with it for about 15 minutes every four years, but you've got to do at least that. Couldn't agree with you more. Yeah, and I think it has this – it creates this amazing kind of stability and ballast in our mm. political – systems in this country um amazed that more places don't do it it's it's very special um and and so i think uh you know i think this kind of goes to the question about the skills that politicians have and when people see politicians at work i see them giving speeches or i hear them on the radio doing like a short little yeah half a second, you know, like 30 seconds or whatever. Um, Or you see them like at an event and like everybody's kind of standing around with a plate of sandwiches. Like that is a fraction of the work and is absolutely no expression of the skills. And so it's all really, it's basically one form of problem solving or another. Um, But it it has, um, you know, it has all kinds of um, other layers around, you know, accountability, like extraordinary accountability. Um, as it should have, yeah. um, uh, you know, ensuring that things get delivered and done properly, ensuring that little quiet voices are heard as loudly as the noisy ones, um, you know, and then and then there's the really technical stuff like like amendments on legislation where you're like deep in the weeds on you know some like this word versus that word kind of argument that ha- will have a kind of profound impact on the way that it will be interpreted you know, by the courts for, yeah. like, till forever if it's never changed or till somebody changes it. And, um, yeah, it's, um, pol- like, politicians uh, at all levels, and I'd say this of, of, of people in Canberra, I'd say, say this of people in the local councils, like, they're actually amazing skills. They're really... And they're really transferable, though people don't... I don't think people understand that very oh, well. No. Um, like, the ability to talk to anyone about anything um, and then the ability to sort of navigate... Um, you know, a solution to a problem through all kinds of really, really complex systems. Um, you know, knowing you know knowing when to deploy your communication skills and how, um, knowing when and how to deploy your negotiation skills, um, build alliances for whatever it is you're trying to get done. There's there's a lot actually, um, a lot of critical thought. Very good. So, um, Jala, uh, portfolio woman. <laughs> portfolio woman been fantastic speaking to you really has and uh, i really love the idea that you've had your 16 years in parliament and that's just been part that's a part of your life and now it's you know the next what i'm sure is going to be an unbelievably successful chapters to come um i know that those that have li- have listened to this podcast would have really enjoyed getting to know you better and understanding that unbelievable impact you've had on our lives Oh, that's very kind. Good on um, you. Thank you. It's been lovely to chat. And it's really nice to hear those waves again. They might jump into the water. Go look at some fish. <laughs> <laughs>